Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 52, How to Use Stories to Engage People, featuring Steve Cloyda from The Prospecting Expert. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Who would you say has had the most influence over people in the last several decades? Would you say politicians or teachers? CEOs? I suggest that Hollywood and the rest of the entertainment industry have had the most significant impact on a greater number of people. Now, I'm not trying to present a definitive study on this topic, but let me just share a few interesting bits of information. After Jaws hit theaters in 1975, shark hunting increased dramatically to the point that their populations may never recover. After the 1986 movie Top Gun, Navy aviator recruitment skyrocketed by as much as 500%. And after The Karate Kid, the number of kids taking martial arts more than doubled. As a result of the 2007 movie Sicko, 43% of people were more likely to report that they thought healthcare reform was needed. And in 2008, a Time magazine poll of over a thousand registered voters said that showed that 30% of them said a movie had changed their mind about an issue. So think about it. The biggest leadership impact happens when people are being entertained, when their minds are being captured, when the, the public imagination has been engaged and the future has been framed for them. That's the power that storytellers and artists and musicians have when they cast a vision or want to sound an alarm on a problem or establish priorities. They have a huge amount of influence. And of course, there are a lot of leaders, including leaders in the business world, that have discovered that secret and use stories to great effect. Now, I was recently asked to address this topic on a popular podcast called The Prospecting Expert, which is hosted by Steve Cloyda. Steve has a very large audience, which is primarily made up of salespeople. And of course, salespeople need to engage people. They're engaging prospects. And they are not just trying to ram a bunch of information down their prospects. They want to actually build a relationship with them uh, and and engage them to take some action, whether that's signing on the bottom line or becoming a long-term client or whatever. So Steve was kind enough to invite me on his show to talk about the why and how of using storytelling as an effective tool for influencing people, and in in this case, specifically to influence prospective customers. And I thought it was a great interchange because not only did I have a chance to just share from my expertise and my experience, but Steve has been in the sales business for so many years and obviously is a master storyteller. And so he has a great perspective on on that and also uh, shares some of his uh, principles as well in this conversation. 
So with Steve's gracious permission, I'm going to replay for you a part of our conversation that originally aired on the Prospecting Expert episode 70. It's clear that you're passionate about the topic. You love communication and you love leadership and you were able to now take that information and your years of experience and create this wonderful platform. So today you hear a lot about stories that are, you know, stories are really one of the most powerful ways to influence people, including prospects. So why is that? And when you think about, when you think about that, you know, the person listening today is a salesperson and I don't know if that salesperson really understands that they are a leader. They are a leader and they're helping their prospects and their customers and lead them to a decision that is good for them. So what is the most powerful way that they can take these ideas and influence people, especially their prospects? Yes. And a story is so powerful in leading. And even if you just think about it as influencing people, and there's Four primary reasons for the power of a well-crafted story to influence people. And the first reason is that an effective story doesn't just instruct someone, it entertains someone. And you don't may not think about that in your role in sales or prospecting, but it's that entertainment part of the equation that actually motivates people to pay attention and to remember and take action. In other words, it makes the story stick. So, for example, you think about the U.S. military, and they're always recruiting and advertising, and they're sending these messages out there, and they're selling, basically. They're trying to influence the public. But then you think about one single story. In 1986, the movie Top Gun came out, and Navy aviator recruitment skyrocketed by as much as 500%. So that the, the entertainment value was so much, had so much more value than all the different messages that the military tries to send. Hmm. That's a really a powerful example because I remember that movie like it was yesterday. Absolutely. Me too. And the second reason is that stories make an emotional connection with the listener. Let's say I'm a salesman and I'm promoting the goo energy gels that marathon runners use. Now, I could talk to a prospect about all my product's features and benefits and the specs I could tell you about the type of energy you get when you eat these goos and how it's going to help you run the marathon better. I could tell you about electrolytes, how soon that energy is going to hit your, your body's system, how long the energy lasts. And if you, if you buy them by the box, each little packet only ends up costing about a dollar or so. I could, I could rattle all those off. Or I could tell you the true story, the personal story, of running a half marathon with my dad in Miami earlier this month. Now, last year, even though we were, we were in good shape and we ran that same half marathon, but due to the intense heat of Miami, we pretty much died about halfway through the race. We were just drained of energy. And we actually did a lot of walking instead of running those last several miles. And we tried to, to fix the problem by drinking lots of water. And anytime we got to the races, drink stations, we, we drank Gatorade that they had available. And it ended up being just too little, too late. And it actually, to be honest, it made me take a lot of extra restroom stops. So for all those reasons, our finish time last year really sucked. Now this year, mm. I, had a, a, I actually put together a racing nutrition strategy that included goo energy gels. About 45 minutes before the race, I ate one little packet of, of this stuff, and then I ate a second packet 15 minutes before the race. 
And then during the race, I ate one packet after every 30 minutes of racing. Now, my dad also kind of came up with his plan of action, but he used a competing product that provided fewer calories and no electrolytes. Now, this year, we both finished a lot better than last year. We never had to walk. We ran the whole thing, and we finished 45 minutes faster than last year. So that was a 27% Mm. improvement. However, we wanted to run the race together so that we could enjoy each other's company. Now, I was roaring with energy all the way to the end. And if I'd been willing to leave my dad behind, I could have actually run a lot faster. I I had so much energy, Steve, that all along the race, I was Mm. saying hi to spectators, waving to them, thanking them. I was even giving some of them high fives. And in contrast, my dad's pace actually slowed over the last seven miles. And three miles before the end, he told me, Jess, I'm going to switch to those goo energy gels that you have for my next race. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I I think you can see by sharing that story, I I help you realize I'm not just faking the belief, my belief in this product or trying to manipulate it into buying. I have a genuine conviction. And what's going on there, I'm not just connecting to your logical mind, I'm connecting to your emotional heart. Yes. And then the third reason, the third of the four reasons are effective stories let people reach the conclusion themselves. When you're the listener, your mind actually kind of races along ahead while the story is being told. So I, I don't know, Steve, did you find yourself guessing the end of the marathon story be, I, before I finished Yes, it? I did. Of and, course I did. Yes. And then did you actually start to think about how you could apply a similar type of story to your own situation when you're dealing with a, a prospect? Yes. So listeners don't realize it, but they actually take the story's point and they make it their own idea. And of course, we all naturally think our own ideas are best. And the fourth reason for the power of effective stories to influence people is they actually take an abstract, it's the easiest way to take an abstract concept and make it practical. Now, in my story about Miami, I talked about how I had come up with a racing nutrition strategy. That's just an abstract concept. But by the end of my story, you you can sort of see, oh, it involves taking in nutrition that's going to give you energy without making you have to go to the bathroom and, and have other issues during the race. So you want a strategy that is going to help you be have the energy to get you all the way through the race with a good speed and goo energy gels are a great way to do that. So it takes something abstract and makes it practical. And one of the things I love to do in prospecting is to have a story or one or more stories that are part of your elevator pitch. Do you, uh, do you teach people to have an elevator pitch ready, Steve? Yes, exactly. I, I call it the unique message where it, it's either an ele- you can call it an elevator pitch or your value proposition, but to create a story around that elevator pitch to communicate ideas. Yes, it's very, very powerful. And, and part of what makes that powerful is in, in your, your unique proposition, sometimes that can come across very abstract and the story really makes it it's the easiest way to make it concrete so those are the four reasons why a story is so powerful yeah and i really like that because you know i I like how you've laid that out from entertainment emotional connection reach the conclusion themselves and being very practical and you know having worked with salespeople for over 30 years the most successful salespeople that i've worked with combined all four of these 
into a story. And I remember when I started out as a stockbroker, my mentor, Tom Vanio said, if you can create a story in their mind of what the potential is, is it entertaining? Is there an emotional connection to the investment opportunity? Are they reaching a potential conclusion themselves where the stock may go from five to $10 a share? Is it practical enough? And the most successful people combine all of these. In fact, I, I remember times where some of my prospects would call me back and say, hey, I really, really love that story that you told about that stock. Now, what was it that stock that I bought? And they had, where they were so engaged in the entire process. And a lot of times salespeople don't realize the power of stories. So, you know, you had mentioned that a good story needs to entertain the prospect. One, how do you do that? And does that mean that I got to be funny? What if I'm not funny? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's not necessary that you have to be funny. And it's that's good news for me because I, I'm not particularly funny myself. But the most basic way to make your story entertain is to have two basic ingredients. Number one, people. And number two, details. And by details, we mean specific people doing specific things. So, for example, in the Miami story about the goo energy, I didn't just say something vague like, I recently ran a race and using goo energy greatly improved my performance. No, I told you about my dad and I being in the heat of Miami and specifically what we did and specifically how we were feeling. And that, it, it may not, you may not think of it in in terms of entertaining as in top, top Gun Hollywood entertainment, but it's enough to keep people engaged with you as long as your those details that you share are relevant. It's really important. There's got to be some relevancy because if they can't connect the dots, nothing will happen, right? That's right. Okay, so then uh, what are some general rules for telling a good story? I like to follow five guidelines for storytelling. And I, I learned these from a guy named Terry Pierce, who has a wonderful book called Leading Out Loud. And uh, the, first, the first guideline is to tell stories based on your personal experience. It makes the story much stronger and more authentic than secondhand stories. So I shared the story with you about what happened to me in Miami with the goo energy gels. So if you think about what personal experience or story could demonstrate my conviction because just telling a third hand story doesn't really get across this idea that I really believe in the product or service that I'm selling. Number two is the experience must be clearly relevant to the point that you are making. So I didn't tell you about another Miami story that I have from that same trip where there was this great hotel that my dad and I discovered and all the things about that. That would have been a waste of time. And there's a time and a place for just chit-chatting with friends about interesting stories. But I focused on a story that was specifically relevant to the product. And what's more, and, and you touched on it already when you said it has to be relevant, I didn't waste your time, Steve, on non-relevant details about the race, such as the fact that I was wearing new shoes and they caused a blister. I, that, exactly. that distracts the point, the prospect's mind might start wandering, and they might just lose interest altogether. So keep things focused on the point of, main point of your story. Include only relevant details. A third guideline is that when you're sharing a personal experience, you need to do it from memory and not from a script. 
And let's say, especially you've talked to your hundredth prospect in this week, and you get to that the the hundred and first prospect, and you're just kind of reading from a script, and it's it's going to come across, you know, not very human. And Terry Pierce tells the story from the 1992 Democratic convention of of Al Gore, who had a son who back in the late 80s had been injured in a tragic accident. And he later shared the story often. And, and he was going right from memory, and it was spontaneous and authentic and touching. But when it got to the 1992 Democratic convention, his trainers, if you will, had coached him and scripted it out and he rehearsed it and it really came across as more of a just an emotional appeal a manipulated calculated mm. appeal for support as opposed to something that was truly connecting so if i'm telling you the story from miami uh, i might have some notes jotted to make you know make sure you mention this and that but but it should be something that it's your story so you you should be able to just tell it and uh, number 4 is Make sure you share enough relevant details of exactly what you saw and heard and what people, what you felt. And, and I tried to do that in the Miami story when I, I talked about, you know, hey, I, w- I felt so great I was high-fiving spectators. The, it's, it's little details like that that, as I said earlier, it's the, it's the details that actually add the entertainment value. There's a, a wonderful executive coach that I like named Tom Henschel. And he tells people, when you're telling a story, include both the forest and the trees. Don't, don't just hover over the forest telling us about the landscape. Bring us down onto the forest floor so we can enter the landscape. So give us the leaves and the roots and the dirt. And that's the details of what people did and said and felt. That really pulls you into the story. And then the last guideline is to make sure you tell it in first person. And that, that makes your story an opinion rather than a reality. So you can't, you might quibble with me, Steve, about just how good goo energy is compared to a competing product, but you aren't really going to raise an objection to my story because it was my reality. It was a, it was a, a true experience, not just some hypothetical scenario or example that you could take issue with. So that allows you to just connect with me at an emotional level and basically trust what I'm saying, even though when it comes down to some of the finer points of the, the specs, there might be some issues, some pros and cons of different uh, details there. Right. And, and I like that, that first person opinion. I can't argue with you. You were there, but you did a great job of sharing the story with me. And as a listener of the story, I'm thinking about, okay, so how is this going to end? It goes back to what you first said here. I, first of all, I have an emotional connection because I used to run years ago. I know how hard it is to run. And then I'm thinking, well, okay, so where is he? How is this, how is this story going to end? And, and every good movie, every good movie has all of these things that you're talking about because movies, let me just say a general statement, most good movies have a great, great story. That's true. So how do you decide what story or stories to tell? I teach a concept called the big little outcome scope. When you engage with someone like a prospect, you need to have a very clear idea of the most important outcome you want to achieve from that interaction. So often we go into 
a certain interaction when we th we actually have a jumble of things that we're hoping to accomplish. We want and we want them to understand this, and we hope they go away with that. It is powerfully clarifying to force yourself to identify a single must-have outcome for that engagement. I call that the big outcome. And usually it's something that I'd like people to think or do differently. Then I identify up to three little objectives that will help me produce that one big outcome. When you think through this process, a lot of times one or more stories will help you accomplish those little objectives. So you, the one, two, or three little objectives and that's how you choose which story or stories to tell. If they're going to make one of those objectives happen, that will move you toward the big outcome. So if, if I were the goo gel salesman and I was contacting a prospect uh, in, in the hopes of, of having their store agree to carry my, my merchandise, Steve, what would you suggest that my, my targeted outcome from that interaction should be? Well, to put me in your running shoes. Hmm. And what is, and, and from my experiences and by asking the right questions, obviously the ultimate outcome is to get me to purchase your product. Mm -hmm. But by telling a story and asking the right questions, so I'm actually in my running shoes. I'm actually feeling the pain. I'm actually there with you or you're there with me. I think that, and ultimately the outcome is I part with my money. Okay, and the big outcome, of course, may be different depending on the type of product or service that you're selling and where you are in the course of your relationship with the prospect. But let's say, as you did, that the big outcome that we're after is that they sign on the bottom line, they part with their money. That outcome is what you'd like a person to do or think differently. The next step is to determine how you and your story will create that outcome. And I like to define the how in one or more objectives. I call them little objectives in order to remain clear that they support the big outcome. And there's two hints for defining effective objectives. First, it's helpful to think about the challenges or objections that you'll need to overcome with your audience to accomplish your big objective. So for example, in my goo story, I purposefully chose that story and some of the details that I shared to explain how that's different from competing products or other types of nutrition like uh, Gatorade. Because I assumed that that's one of the objections that the prospect is going to have. Second, it's best to state your objectives in your head as action verbs. Action verbs that describe the impact I'm trying to have on the other person. So as you said, Steve, I want to put the prospect in my running shoes. That's perfect. That's a great example of one of the up to three little objectives that you want to come up with that will help you achieve your big outcome. Put them in my running shoes. So I wanted to identify the challenges or objections and define action word objectives that will overcome those. Other examples might be I want to catch their attention, I want to make them laugh, and I want to pique their interest for more information. And I might accomplish all of those objectives with a single story, like I tried to with the goo story, but I might instead use 
three stories to accomplish three objectives, or I might tell two stories uh, to accomplish three objectives, or I might only set one or two objectives to support the big outcome. But if you can keep it to no more than three, it's easier to keep in mind. Three is a, is a better number to keep in your mind so you don't forget and you're more likely to hit your target. And so just like a scope on a rifle will help you hit a target, this little exercise that I call the big little outcome scope will help you hit your target with your prospect or other audience. Yeah, and I think that's great because a lot of things what I've talked about, you know, in my training of salespeople, you know, you, you call it the single outcome. I call it the purpose. The purpose of the call, the purpose of the meeting is to keep the purpose of the meeting, the purpose of the meeting. So you have your single outcome, your big outcome, and then you have a little objectives, little stepping stones along the way to get the prospect or get the customer to that point. So how do you then help ensure that your story that you tell is truly effective? Well, probably the best how-to guide for telling stories that influence people is the book Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. And this came out maybe five years ago. And they share this model based on the word success, but with only one S at the end. So it's S-U-C-C. E-S. And to make your story stick, they say, tell a simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, and emotional story. So the, the, the simple part of that is to, means that you focus on a single core message. Your purpose is to make people clear about your core message. And these are, these are basically a lens that you're going to look at and think about do I have a story that achieves some or all of these criteria? And you don't you don't have to necessarily fit every single one of them in there, but if you have a story that has none of those criteria, then then it's probably not worth telling. But if you have a story that hits 3 or more of them, then that make it means it's probably a good story. So my story about Miami was pretty simple. Just it got across the idea, the core message was that if you don't if you don't have the right nutrition, you might not finish the race very strong. And goo energy can make that happen. And you can fine-tune that so that your core message is even shorter. But the, the story gets across that single message. Having the, the you is for unexpected. So that means something happens that makes people notice. And that may be some a surprise or it may be humor. If you really are a funny person, humor usually has an element of unexpected to it. In my story, I think it's kind of unexpected that when I say, actually, Dad and I both did a lot better than last year. He was using a competing product, and it's still he still had a 27% improvement. But I could have actually done a lot better if, if I weren't holding myself back to run along with him. So there's that kind of unexpected component of it. The C in success, the first of the two C's, is concrete. Share details about specific people doing specific things, just like I talked about earlier. Those concrete details, they help people understand. And then the second C is for credible. They want to, this is to make people believe your message. And I already said that if you can tell a personal story, a personal testimony, is a, a great step toward credibility. So if you've got a personal testimony in it, that's going to hit that credible 
uh, criteria. And then the E in the word success is for emotional, and that's to make people care. And one way you can do that is by creating empathy for specific individuals. Now, you, you look at my story and you'd say, that's I wouldn't put that high on the emotional list. It probably doesn't really meet that criteria. And then the last uh, thing is just story. Again, just to make sure that you know that you should be telling a story as opposed to other ways to get information across. But the story provides the inspiration and example that engages people to act. So your, your simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, and emotional story ends up resulting in clarity that people notice and they understand and they believe you and they care and then they take action. So I just got back from Atlanta last week and uh, I was being videotaped uh, for a program that a very good friend of mine is launching and uh, they had me communicate uh, why prospecting research and qualification is so important. And the video shoot took about maybe 30 minutes. And after I got all done, the two individuals that were videotaping the shoot said to me, we were blown away by your stories. You know, we've done this with several other people like yourself, but in different categories and different areas. And the way that you use stories were so effective. So let's try it. I want to try a story right now. And I share a story in my sales journeys, and I've shared this with salespeople over the years. And I like using the movie The Wizard of Oz. And I'm going to apply, I'm going to apply what I've learned here today from you. We've okay. all seen the movie The Wizard of Oz, okay? You've seen it, right, Jesse? Yes, I actually just watched it for about the 30th time uh, just a couple months ago with my kids. All right, all right. So that movie answered five major questions for the salesperson, all right? And that movie answered the question, and this is the, these are the questions that Dorothy had to ask. She had to get the answers to these five questions to get back home. So I'm going to test you on this because you recently saw the movie. Okay. All right. So question number one, Dorothy lands in Munchkin land killing the Wicked Witch. The house fell on the Wicked Witch. Question number one, what was Dorothy's primary purpose throughout that entire movie? Her primary purpose was to go home. To go home, to get back to Kansas, right? Right. So she's in Munchkin land, and here comes the bubble, Glinda the Good Witch. She comes towards Dorothy. She steps outside of the bubble. And question number two, who was the right person that Dorothy originally thought could help her get back home? So she asked Glinda, how do I get back home? What do I need to do? Who do I got to go see? And what did Glinda say? Do you remember? That you have to go see the Wizard of Oz. You have to go see the Wizard of Oz. Okay, so how does this apply to sales? Number one, the purpose of the call is keep the purpose of the call, the purpose of the call. Question number two, are you talking to the right person to produce the right results? So mm. often salespeople waste so much time talking to the wrong people. Okay, so Glinda says you need to go see the wizard in Emerald City. Her next question is, what is the game plan? Glinda, Glinda, how do I get from Munchkin Land to Oz? Do you remember what the answer was? Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road, okay? And that is our, in the in the terms of sales, that is our meeting agenda. That is our script. You know, you talked about that a little earlier about not using a script. Well, the highest paid people in this world, they know their presentations word for word. Jack Nicholson doesn't show up on the set and wing it, and he certainly doesn't read his script. You need to memorize it. 
So the yellow brick road got her from Munchkin Land to Oz. Now, Glinda did not tell her about all the obstacles that she was going to run into. The first obstacle that that Dorothy ran into is she ran into the scarecrow, and the scarecrow is up on its perch, and the yellow brick road split into three. So they had to make a decision right there which direction to go. Then they run into the Tin Man, and the Tin Man is rusted together and frozen. They finally get the Tin Man unfrozen and lubed up, and then what happens? There was something unexpected that happened right there. The Wicked Witch appeared on the on the top of the roof and threw a fireball on the Scarecrow and lit the Scarecrow on fire. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to Munchkin Land, Glinda never told Dorothy about all the obstacles that she was going to encounter along the way. Had she done that, maybe Dorothy would have stayed in Munchkin Land for the rest of her life. And that's one of the things that I want to emphasize with salespeople is that there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be challenges along the way. All right, then they run into the lion. And at first they're scared of the lion, but then they realize that the lion has no courage. Then they get to the poppy field. And remember what happened in the poppy field, the wicked witch put a spell over the poppy field, and they all fell asleep. Well, ultimately, they finally got to Emerald City. They knocked on the door, and the guard sticks his head through the door and says, what can I help you with? Well, we're here to see the wizard. And his response was, nobody sees the wizard. Nobody, never, not anybody ever sees the wizard. And she starts, or he starts to close the door, and Dorothy goes, well, how do you know there's one? Ah, and he gets all frustrated, and he's ready to close the door, and then this is what she said. The good witch Glinda sent me. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me? That's the power of a referral. Mm -hmm. So they finally get in to see the wizard. And the wizard says, here's question number four. What is the solution? The wizard said, you bring me the blank, the solution, and I will grant all of you your wish. Do you recall what the wizard wanted? Oh yeah, the wizard wanted the broom handle. Uh, the broom. There up you handle go. Of the witch. Yeah, he wanted the broom handle. Okay, so they ran out. They they got the broomstick from the the wicked witch. They ran back down that long hallway. They set the uh, the broomstick in front of the wizard. The credits started to roll, and the movie was over. Right? No, that didn't happen. Question number five: What was the next step? What was the next step for the lion? It was to get courage, right? The next step for the Tin Men was to get a heart. The next step for the Scarecrow was to get a brain. And the next step for Dorothy was to get back home, which led them right back to the purpose of the entire movie. So what is the purpose of your sales call? Who is the right person that you need to talk to? What is the game plan to get from point A to point B? What is that game plan? Is it an email? Is it a script? Is it a strategy? Is it questions that I need to ask? Is it a story that I need to tell? Question number four, what is the potential solution for this prospect? Well, the potential solution is your product and service, but what are the stories you're going to tell that the prospect or customer can relate to, like what Jesse is talking about, and then what is the next step? There is always a next step. So after applying everything that you taught me, how did I do? I think that's terrific, Steve. It's it's simple. It's it's something I'd be able to remember, even if I can't. In the moment, I might I might say, "What were those? What were those steps that Steve taught?" And I might forget the specific words, but I'm going to be remember because it's attached to this movie that I'm so familiar with, and it's it's unexpected because I 
I just never would have thought to take that movie that I've seen so many times and apply it to this this uh, this prospecting strategy. So it, it's th- th- that kind of that alone makes me think I'm going to hang on to that and remember it because I'll say when, when I'm in this situation, oh, remember that how Steve attached it to the Wizard of Oz, and of course it's it's concrete because you can remember these steps that took place in the movie and the in the specific scenes. And of course, it's emotionally. I'm not. It may not be credible, except that I believe you, Steve, from your, uh, <laughs> from what I know about you, that it works. But it's emotional because I, as a kid, you grew up with the movie, and so you remember how you cared about Dorothy and so forth. And and of course, it's a story, so you may forget what the specific things are, but you're going to and end up remembering all of them because it's it's a story, and you are just naturally wired to remember that story. So I would say you hit. All but one of them. That's great. And, you know, I love I love telling stories. And, and, you know, it's just really been great, great having you on the show today. I mean, just a world of wisdom, the knowledge and the wisdom that you brought to the show today. And, and everybody listening to this podcast today, every salesperson, every sales leader, figure out a way, take these ideas that Jesse has talked about and learn how to apply them to your business. Come up with stories that people can relate to, just like the movie, The Wizard of Oz. All right, leaders, that wraps up today's show. I trust that you gathered from this conversation with Steve that he has definitely a servant's heart. He teaches people about sales and how to specifically how to prospect, but he doesn't do it in a way that's pushy, um, he is very much about serving people and has a very kind heart, and that's why he has been so successful. Uh, we will put a link to his podcast and his website in our show notes, but I would encourage you to go check him out. Uh, the website is theprospectingexpert.com, and he provides a, a lot of free information on there as well as some great uh, affordable tools that will are helpful to sales leaders and individual salespeople and anybody who needs to contact or influence prospective customers. In addition, I want to mention that storytelling is one of the topics that I speak about. I can, If you uh, have an event that you'd like me to teach the how and why of storytelling to engage people, uh, you can find out information about that on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash speaking. And also, if you'd like to get my free ebook, there is a chapter in there uh, about storytelling. It's one of the eight communication tools for leaders that are in this book, which is all about becoming a better leader in every area of life. Thanks for joining us on this episode. And as always, we'd love to hear your comments in our show notes. Or you can engage with me on Twitter, where I'm at Jesse Leahy, or at Facebook, where we are Engaging Leader. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, 
Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.